0: For those of you that do not know, if you're new here, uh, we've been for some time now studying the Gospel of Luke, and we are continuing that consecutive expository series. We're now uh, getting into chapter 17, uh, moving along more than two-thirds of the way uh, through the Gospel of Luke, which is the largest of all of the Gospels, so the three Gospels in in size uh, and content. Now, our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And as I always remind you, this is the word of the Lord, and therefore hear it with careful appreciation. And he said to his disciples... Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And The Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, We have only done what was our duty. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Father, help us again to understand this, your holy word. Father, will you give us insight and the leading of the Holy Spirit to come alongside with the written, inscribed word. Father, help us to understand and apply it in ways that honor you and your cause in this world. Father, for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, you know that Jesus has been teaching a lot. Burning up, as I've said before, the road between Jerusalem and back to Galilee. And back and forth many times. He's been teaching a lot. Teaching his followers, his faithful ones, his disciples. But he's also been teaching his foes. And turning them inside out. With frustration. Exposing their ways that they have continued to usurp God's commandments and replace them with their own. But one thing that we've seen for some time now, Jesus in chapter 16 verse 13 tells us that we must choose which kingdom we will serve. We have a choice, but that choice is not to not serve a kingdom. You will serve somebody. Listen again to this text from Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's another way of saying you don't have but two choices. You follow me and my kingdom, or you follow a dead end, a place that is not going where a lot of the religious leaders think that it is going. Now, today's passage, Jesus is primarily speaking to his disciples. As we've seen, he's gone back and forth, more focusing on the Pharisees and the scribes, and then at other times focusing on his own, his disciples, or the larger crowds, and sometimes both. And certainly both are here because they're both hanging around. But in this case, Jesus is primarily focusing on his disciples, and he combines Two things, inevitability with responsibility. He says, there are things that inevitably are going to come to my followers, but there's responsibility for those who do not treat them like they should. And if they are being kept from me, Jesus has got a great concern about that as we will see. Jesus, remember, said, Woe to the one through whom these come. Inevitable struggles and and suffering will come to God's people. But if it's the Pharisees or others like them that are holding back and trying to keep Jesus' flock from being fed... Jesus says, woe to those through whom they come. Now, in the text, and then we're going to see our three points just shortly, but before that, in verses 1 and 2, Jesus is using some very extreme hyperbole, exaggerated language to make a point. Jesus is using hyperbole. To get his point across. And he says that it's better to meet a certain and cruel death than undermine the faith of my followers. That's what Jesus is saying basically in verses one and two. And then specifically, he says, These little ones, who are the little ones? They're not little, tiny, small children. It's talking about his followers, his disciples. They are the little ones. And so he says, these little ones that are his disciples, those, if those children, those little ones, if they are led astray, Jesus says you might as well tie a thousand pound donkey millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the watery grave of the sea, which is literally the abyss. Now Jesus is using a a lot of hyperbole there, but he's making a very, very strong and direct point. My followers, my little ones... You do not stand in the way, and though they will fall, you make sure that you are not in any way having part of trying to turn me back from the purpose for which I have come to minister to and to save these little ones. And you Pharisees and you scribes, you have been getting in the way. Jesus is at this point livid and he basically says that's what you ought to do with yourself if you get in the way of me and my followers. Now, we have three points in the rest of the text in verses 3 through 10. Here's the outline. We need we need to forgive. We need To have faith. And we need to serve. To serve one another. Now, let's look at those three sections. We need to forgive. That's in verses 3 and 4 of our text. It is important that Jesus' followers protect their relationships with one another against Lingering resentment, i.e., another way of putting it, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. That is a very, very powerful thing. And yet it leaves terrible, terrible circumstances and messes in people's lives. Jesus wants his sheep, his followers, his little ones, to be those who forgive often and always, as we see in the text that we just read. You see, Jesus was very concerned about relationships between brothers and sisters, his fellow believers. And relationships, guess what? They don't come easy and naturally. Relationships among sinners like me and you, that is a full-time job so often. You see, relationships require frequent maintenance. It's a big job to keep our relationships healthy. And our Lord is counseling believers to keep short accounts. Don't get into something and then let this thing spread out and spread out. He says deal with all the elements of it quickly. When there's an offense, go and address it. When a person asks for forgiveness, give it. You see, literally here, notice that the offending person repents. And Jesus calls for us, as a result of that, to forgive them. Now, somebody's probably right there saying, because I have thought it many times, yeah, but what if he's not really being sincere? What if she's really didn't mean it? What if they've done it so many times? We all feel like that, don't we? So often. But you see, our focus is on one of a three part movement, only one element when we think like that. Literally, Jesus says, unbind them. When a person that has offended you and they ask you for forgiveness, if they say they repent, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? He says, let them go. Unloose them. Unbind them. Literally. You see, to release someone is to set him or her free from the claim of justice. And isn't that what we want to do always when we have been offended? We want to get justice. But Jesus is saying the way forward here is not to demand justice, but to grant forgiveness. You see, the bottom line is that we are to confront promptly and forgive quickly. And you, you know what? We usually invert that, don't we? <laughs> we usually wait a long time trying to figure out if, if what we're going to do with this. And we don't have the courage to go and confront, rebuke, if necessary. Call, Hey, hey bro, you stepped on my toes and it really hurt. We don't do that we wait and wait and things begin to fester and then when it comes time for them to fi- when they finally say something to us and say I repent we're not sure they really mean it and all other kind of things that float around you see the bottom line is we are to confront promptly and then forgive quickly I want you to listen to this quote um, from you've heard me quote quote. He's one of the commentators I quote often, Philip Graham Ryken, tenth pres, uh, PCA pastor. Um, this is a little bit long, but it's really good, great story. Uh, talking about Louis the twelfth, Louis, King Louis of France, hundreds of years ago now. He was. The king, the rightful king of France. Now, listen as I tell this story. I'm reading it, of course, but um, as as Reichen tells it. But this is this is the the essence of it. Historians tell us that King Louis the was cast into a prison and kept in chains before eventually rising to the throne of France. The story is also told that upon his ascension to power, his close advisors urged him to seek deadly revenge by every means of violence. In response to their entreaties, Louis prepared a scroll listing the names of all the enemies who had committed crimes against his royal person. Opposite every name, he inscribed in red a cross in red ink. Surely the men who committed these misdeeds would have to die. But word of the king's blood red list soon reached his enemies, who assumed. The crosses meant that they were dead men and fled for their lives. But then Louis clarified his true and surprising intention. He said, quote, The cross which I drew beside each name was not a sign of punishment, but a pledge of forgiveness. Extended, for the sake of the crucified Savior, who upon his cross forgave his enemies and prayed for them. That's what Jesus was getting at. That's forgiveness. That's what fixes broken relationships so often. You see, remember this. Forgiveness is always, always, always costly. There is no such thing as cheap forgiveness. It always costs. Somebody always is picking up the tab when someone has offended another. And forgiveness is a costly thing. But remember Though forgiveness is always costly for the one who gives it, it will be hard. Sometimes you may get the short end of the stick in that relationship. But for those who give it, grant forgiveness. For those who give it, find themselves set free. You see, the people that hold grudges think they're punishing the other person. They're only punishing themselves. The only way to get free is to let it go. Unbind them. Don't demand justice. And then walk away free. Now, secondly, we need to have faith. That's in verses 5 and 6. It's important that Jesus' his followers grow toward maturity in their faith. Did you notice that the 12, and by the way, Luke uses the word here, apostles, instead of the basically disciples or more generic He's, specific speakly, uh, he's specifically speaking to the 12 in, in focus. Others are hearing, but that's his focus. And Luke tells us that by giving us the expression apostles. Did you notice that the 12 apostles asked for increased faith? Now, no doubt you and I have asked for increased faith many times in our walk with the Lord. And, um, but see, they thought, they thought that that meant if they got more faith, they would be able to accomplish greater things. So they kind of thought that, well, if, if we can get this faith and get enough of it, we maybe can do some great things with it. Perhaps they thought a faith kind of like a fuel that would help them achieve great things. Or, and I'm suggesting it's probably the latter, that's one scenario, maybe what they were thinking about this. But remember, they said, you know, what Jesus you know seriously how are we going to do this uh so that's one possible but the here's the other and I think more likely in context particularly perhaps they were thinking that to be able to do what Jesus said to do to forgive seven times a day if necessary And remember in one of the other Gospels, it was seven times 70. It's a a way of saying, there's no limit. They may have been thinking, faith? Are you kidding? I can't, there's no way. I can't do that seven times a day. They're basically saying, Jesus, are you asking for a miracle from us? This is impossible. Now the 12, um, 11 of them at least, because remember, one of them is out or is going to be thrown out, may have already at some point, would be. The 12, possibly the minus the 11 at least, had demonstrated their faith by believing in Jesus as their Messiah, and, uh, and they are following him. See, they've already expressed their faith. They've already made a profession of their faith, if you want to think of it like we, in terms that we often use. They made a profession of Jesus as the answer to their sinfulness. They already had, therefore, faith. They didn't need to go conjure up some more or go dig up some more or something like that. They already had that faith. They just needed to exercise it. You see, it's not great faith, but genuine faith that matters. It's not how much of it and how great it is, it's whether it's genuine. Listen to what Leon Morris, another commentator, uh, famous commentator, says. Jesus' answer turns them from the thought of a less and more in faith to that of a genuineness. If there is real faith, then effects will follow. It is not so much great faith in God that is required as faith in a great God. Amen? It's faith in a great God. It's just holding on to Him. Lord, where we go, you have the words of eternal life. That's a faith-filled heart. That's already come. They've already received Jesus, believed in Him. Now they just got to keep walking the path and keep calling on Him, depending on Him and His greatness to get them where ultimately they will and want to be. Now, Finally, we need to serve. That's in verses 7 through 10. We need to forgive, we need to have faith, and we need to serve. It's important that Jesus' followers serve the kingdom without expectation. (laughs) Don't we do so many things with expectation? Yeah, I'll do that, but, or, well, I'm counting on, therefore, this, We have a lot of expectations, even when we do something or agree to do something or to help. But we have a lot of expectations. We're kind of saying, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm counting on you to scratch my back, too. I've tried that, by the way. It doesn't work too well. Um, (laughs) You see, without expectation... You no doubt notice that Jesus used the term servant in his parable. But that term, by the way, that's a a, a word that most people in our t- culture and time don't want to have anything to do with. That That reminds and stirs up a lot of things that often in the past or whatever... They don't want to think about such language. But again, this is 2,000 years ago. (laughs) You need to understand the context. You notice that Jesus used the term servant in his parable. But that term in ancient Hebrew society was what we now would call a long-term employee relationship. That's what they had then. That's what we today would call a long-time employee. And our Lord's parable is in no way demeaning a person for fulfilling his or her duties. Not at all. He wasn't denigrating or anything like that. But Jesus is saying that the boss-employee relationship maintains certain rules. Certain things that are expected to be done. And yet, certain things on the part of the servant, if he expects too much, the employer may think about other considerations. You see, there are protocols to follow, and one should not forget their place. Back then or now? Listen to this quote by uh, Chuck Swindoll. I think he's got a pretty good uh, point to this. He says his point, meaning Jesus's point, as he's telling this parable, is simple. God is the superior. That's another thing. People today don't, don't like words superior and inferior. Get over it. Get used to it. It's simply saying there are all kind of different degrees in all of society, in all circumstances. There are those that are in a higher position. There are those in a lower position. Whatever language you put on it, it is still a part of reality. And what, what, is, what uh, Swindoll is saying here, he says his point is simple. God is our superior. We are not his. We serve Him, not the other way around. He already has brought us into His household as a gift of grace. Service is our duty, our responsibility, our privilege. Service to Him is its own reward. That's what Jesus is saying. Service to me and my Father, it's His own reward. He may and undoubtedly will reward us with far more than mere servants deserve. But we have no right to expect anything from our superior. Oh, we have been given great grace and much, but we have no right to demand. He is superior. That's the point that Jesus is making. You see, listen once again to verse 10 of our text. Luke seventeen ten. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded. In other words, you've done everything that you're supposed to. And then most of us would have a tendency to say, okay, now where's my, Jesus says, "Uh ah. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, Jesus says, we are unworthy servants. We have done only what was our duty. That's the position that we should hold. You see, at best, you and I are unworthy servants. But one day, we're going to be servants with a crown because of what Jesus has done. But you know what? Beyond that, crowns that we have are going to be cast at the only one's feet that is worthy. And that is our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us to grow in forgiveness and faith and service. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that, Lord, that you would one day have crowns for us. But, oh, Lord, Lord, we are unworthy in every way, so many ways. But thank you that you've called us into your kingdom. Thank you that one day we will be there with you. And Father, may we gladly carry, cast down our crowns at Jesus' worthy feet. For he is the one that has done it all. We are nothing but unprofitable servants. And yet you have brought us into your kingdom. You have promised to receive us. That where you are you would bring us one day. Oh Father for such grace. For such mercy. Will you help us to show the kind of forgiveness. That you have forgiven us. The kind of faith that we need to give. As we cling to you and the service that honors you and remembers our place, that you are the superior and we are the servants. And we pray this all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.